Hey, it's John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and it's The Entrepreneurial You, the show for dedicated and passionate Caribbean entrepreneurs seeking daily inspiration, brought to you by author, speaker, and award-winning entrepreneur, Henneka Watkins-Porter. You must be prepared to ignite. We needed to raise capital, but our experience with local financial institutions was that they were cautious and slow to act, and interest rates were far too high. We had real concerns about financing our business through outside equity investors and the possibility of interference. Could we get a fair valuation for our business? We had our own ideas about the business and its value. Should I go the traditional route of bank financing or should I try the Jamaica Stock Exchange? So we made a call and experienced transformation of our business through conversations. I'm John Mafood, CEO of Jamaican Teas, and we're listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Give us a call today at 876-967-3271 to begin your transformation through conversation. We want to see your company listed on the Jamaica Stock Exchange. Coming up on this episode of The Entrepreneurial You. I think there was a lot of moments, but one that stands out the most is a business that we were working on where from the outside world, things seemed to be working pretty well. We had a team, right? We had a couple people working on the business and we were hiring more uh, contractors. We were generating revenue. We were pitching to investors and we were getting investors interested in the business. Um, but the reality was that we were also at the same time living in New York City, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world and trying to figure out how to pay rent and for food and everything like that. And eventually it became too much. And when the timing didn't work out of, of the business making enough money to cover all the expenses, we were starting to get into debt. And at one point in our late 20s, we had to make the difficult decision to leave the city and move back in with our parents, which is something that you know, most people don't want to do, um, especially here in the States when, when you're in your late 20s. That's just kind of unheard of. But it's something we absolutely we had no choice. And we were lucky that we had that support system. The last 10 percent it takes to launch something takes as much energy as the first 90 percent. Robert Keelian. Greetings, greetings again, my peak performer. I trust that today is an amazing day, that you're having a great time and that everything has been going well for you. I just want to welcome you to episode 161 of the Entrepreneurial You podcast. I'm your host, as you know, Henneke Watkins-Porter, but for those of you who are just joining, Henneke Watkins-Porter, all right? So today's episode is with Vadim and Sergey Revzin. I am so looking forward to having this conversation. This is a first, definitely a first. We're making history on the Entrepreneurial You podcast. Now, Sergey Revzin is a venture investor at the NYU Innovation Venture Fund, where he leads the university's technology investments. And Vadim Revzin is a professor at NYU and State University of New York, where he teaches entrepreneurship and management. The twin brothers host a weekly podcast called The Mentors, featuring stories from successful founders and creators and regularly contributes to Forbes.com and HBR.org. They have advised hundreds of startups and have been founders and leaders across several early and growth stage companies. 
I'm super, super excited, I must tell you, to have this conversation with uh, both these lovely gentlemen on monetizing your podcast without a huge audience. So welcome, Vadim and Sergey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having us, Seneca. Excited to be here. Awesome. This is great. Awesome sauce. First of all, and as I said before, you're both making history on the entrepreneurial you. First, by me having um, two persons on the other end of the microphone, but not just two persons, uh, two persons who are actually twin. They're twin brothers. Double the fun, huh? <laughs> That's right. We sound exactly the same. And so for those of you that are listening, if you can't tell, don't worry. We're not taking it personally. <laughs> all right. Have you guys ever been to Jamaica? No, we haven't been. We really want to go. Should we? Yes, you should. Ah, oh, you shouldn't even bother to ask me that. Of course, you should come to Jamaica. Welcome. We look forward to welcoming you. Um, is there anything that stands out for you that you've heard about Jamaica? I guess. I mean, obviously, the beaches and ah. the people I really actually. My 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 brother just went relatively recently. Although, don't ask me where because I don't <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, but he said it was an awesome time that we have to go. So it's yeah. going to be our probably our next Caribbean vacation. We hear that the people are the the main reason to go. That they treat you like family, and that sounds really uh, intriguing for us. Yeah, and that is why when you come, no no offense to the um the all inclusive hotels, but you really need to experience Jamaica and. It doesn't give you as much opportunity to experience real Jamaica, real authentic people when you stay in all-inclusive hotels. But that's another conversation that um, not everybody particularly likes to engage in. Um, <laughs> so that aside, right, we're talking about monetizing your podcast without a huge audience. But before we get into the meat of the matter, we put it out there in the uh, intro that you're both entrepreneurs and, you know, um, venture investors and all these lovely things. Um, what's the genesis for you into entrepreneurship? For us, it's something that I think that we grew up with thinking that it's going to be an inevitability doing starting something from nothing, becoming leaders is something that was attractive for us. Our family was very entrepreneurial. They uh, both of our parents came to this country. They brought us when we were nine years old, basically starting from zero with uh, our mom being in her 40s and our dad in their 50s, and they had to figure things out how to support their family, and part of that was through entrepreneurship. So we helped our dad with his small business uh, since we were 12 years old, and he was able to grow that business to helping put us through college without barely being able to speak any English. And so that was really inspiring for us, and we felt like we owed it to the family, just like many immigrant kids do growing up, to make something of ourselves. So by the time we were in high school, we could see ourselves maybe starting something someday. And we started our first company in college and many companies after that, most of them failed. It took a bunch of different tries to figure out how to actually make money and make something of value for folks. But eventually we were able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And what has the journey been like for you? Well, I mean, it's full of ups and downs, obviously, which is um, maybe everybody says, but for us, you know, there's nothing else that we can do. I mean, look, careers aren't usually a straight line. Uh, it is also not always an upward trajectory. Uh, and of course, sometimes, many times, we would have had to have taken full-time jobs when we wanted to, let's say, start, run our own business instead. But the nature of things just didn't allow for that. But I think deep down inside for both of us, being entrepreneurial or starting our own uh, initiatives Creating something out of nothing is just something we're always going to be doing no matter what till the day 
we die. And so it's part of our DNA. Even though maybe some years we weren't quote unquote entrepreneurs, maybe we were working for somebody else, working for another entrepreneur, for example, uh, it's something that we'll always go back to. And even the companies, the ideas that we started that didn't make any money, we were usually able to leverage the fact that we worked on those ideas and were able to create those ventures or those projects to get another opportunity. So it was never a waste of time. We either always learned something really valuable or were able to say, hey, look at this thing I created. I can do the same thing for your company or I can use the skills that I learned to do something interesting for your company. Absolutely. I, lo- I love the fact that you talk about, you know, I mean, it, it's just a, a way of speaking, but I mean, it, it, it appears to be so true for all entrepreneurs that, you know, entrepre- once you become an entrepreneur, it's, a, it's as though you don't go back. You know, once, you, once you've once you tested the waters, you can't go back. I, I can relate to that very same experience. Um, you talked about perhaps there have been moments when you, you know, when it's not so cool and you perhaps think about going into having a full-time job or um, or perhaps wanting to give up. What has been one of those moments for you? If you can go back into your, you know, your memory and, and, and identify one of those moments that you feel like, you know what, although I've always thought that entrepreneurship is for me, maybe I just need to get a full-time job and forget about this thing. Well, I think there was a lot of moments, but one that stands out the most is a business that we were working on where from the outside world, things to be things seemed to be working pretty well. We had a team, right? We had a couple people working on the business and we were hiring more uh, contractors. We were generating revenue. We were pitching to investors and we were getting investors interested in the business. Um, But the reality was that we were also at the same time living in New York City, which is one of the most expensive cities in the world and trying to figure out how to pay rent and for food and everything like that. And eventually it became too much. And when the timing didn't work out of, of the business making enough money to cover all the expenses, we were starting to get into debt. And at one point in our late 20s, we had to make the difficult decision to leave the city and move back in with our parents, which is something that you know most people don't want to do, um, especially here in the States when, when you're in your late 20s. That's just kind of unheard of, but it's something we absolutely, we had no choice. And we were lucky that we had that support system from our parents and we were able to move in with them. We don't take that for granted. And, and that bought us time to figure out how to make another business idea work so we could move back to New York six months later. But that was certainly a low point. We didn't think that when we were almost turning 30 years old that we would have to tell people that we're living at home. I don't really know if we told that many people because we were able to move back relatively quickly, but that was definitely not not a fun time. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, of course, you've already painted that picture of, you know, moving back home. You're almost 30 years old. Why are, why are you even doing that? Um, what were some of the things that, you know, ran through your mind? Like, I'm so intrigued by the story. I know that we're talking about your podcast and we're going to get there. But I'm intrigued by the story of you having to go back. What, what were some of the things that went through your mind? You know, I'm sure it was it was not an easy decision for you to make. Well, you know, some decisions aren't easy, but they're the only decision that you can make at any given time. And so, uh, of course, the only other alternative was let's get into more debt. And at this point, we knew that we had to relieve the burden. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, what was going through our mind at the time is what anybody would think about in this moment. Like, am I a failure? Should I be an entrepreneur? I mean, look at all these different indicators that are saying that I'm not able to succeed, right? And so negative think and self-talk like that starts to permeate and sometimes it's inevitable but time usually does heal for us it did take several months 
And we tried to look on the bright side. We got to spend more time with our family than we ever did since we were in high school, even at that point, right? And our dad actually happened to be sick at that time, so it was a good time for us to spend time with our family. Uh, we got to actually focus on our business full time, so we didn't have to have any side hustles to pay the bills because we had almost no bills to pay. <laughs> and a few months in, in, into the experience, we actually identified a new opportunity to generate revenue. And I remember, I think it was about four months in, we started a new business, which was a services business, soft skills training for software engineers. And within a month, we generated more revenue for that business than we did in a year of the um, software company that we were running. And so, again, in that case, time healed. And even though in our heads, everything that was going through our minds was this quite frankly, sucks. Uh, eventually, we came out on the other side. So sometimes you do just have to persevere through these difficult moments. And sometimes it's not as quick. It might take half a year or a full year. But eventually, if you keep on pushing, if you persevere, there will be something positive that comes out on the other end. It's almost inevitable. Absolutely. And you know, um, clearly in that, what, what, what the lesson that is, when you are just in life, not just in entrepreneurship, you have to make the decision that is right for you, not what others are about to say or are going to say, you know, like, for example, I recently sold my car and it's a strategic decision I've made, I, you know, um, putting together a number of things like I need to invest more this year. I need to get healthier. So I need to walk a lot more. And so making that decision, like, you know, how could she is like, it's a retrograde step for many people, but for me, it's a move forward. Similarly, you moving into your parents' house, moving back into your parents' house. Um, many may see it as a backward step, but sometimes you have to take a step back in order to take many steps forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm going to now have us move into talking about monetizing your podcast when you're when you don't have a huge audience. I'm so happy again that I got to meet you and listen to your presentation at Podcast Movement Evolution recently. I was intrigued um, to invite you onto the podcast because when I heard you speak Many of the things that you are doing and the strategies that you talked about are strategies that one, I actually implement um, in my own um, podcast journey and also wrote about in, in the book that I, I just did, Podcast Power. So um, I was really intrigued by that, genuinely intrigued by that. And I want you to share, first of all, why did you decide to start a podcast and, and, and when when was this? So we started our podcast two years ago and the reason why we're doing it was pretty simple at that point already, we had been working with early stage entrepreneurs for several years as mentors and coaches through various accelerated programs that we were running and also venture capital funds that we were working with. Uh, and we found that we were sharing some similar advice with them over and over again. And so we started creating video content. And if you've ever gone and ventured into the video content creation realm, you realize pretty quickly that it's quite a lot of work. Mm -hmm. The lighting has to be right. You have to look great. Uh, and you also have to sound great. And there's audio and video editing that you have to do. And so after about 20 videos, we did give it a good shot. But after about 20 videos, we realized it's not something we're going to be able to do consistently. But we still in our minds wanted to put out all this content that we thought was great because at this point I was already teaching entrepreneurship 
um, at a university level. And again, I thought, you know what, these students that I'm teaching that get access to this content through a university, that's awesome. But there are more people that should be able to hear the same things so that they can avoid some of the mistakes that we made and also the entrepreneurs that we're coaching are making real time. And so we decided to start a podcast because of that, because we were both musicians and we already had the audio equipment. And so it was kind of a no brainer. All we had to do literally was hit record. And also because we had been doing this for several years, we had a lot of content. Literally, we mapped out hundreds of episodes from the very beginning. And so we weren't even that creative with coming up with a name. We thought, well, you know what? We're mentors. Let's call it The Mentors. Uh, and it actually stuck because people already knew us as The Mentors. So it was a no brainer for them to find our podcast uh, as such as well. So it, it really was an extension of what we were already doing professionally. And it was a way for us to start creating content more consistently and reach more people. So interesting. Actually, um, you keeping your name because you had that before is similar to what I did when I started the Entrepreneurial You because I had it on radio before. And then a few seasons after that, I decided to do a podcast and I kept the same name, the Entrepreneurial You. It works. So if it doesn't, if it isn't bro um, broken, don't fix it, right? On the radio in Jamaica. Yes, yes, yes. So it was on Power One Hundred Six, um, which is one of the top stations here. I did it for three years, and each year, a season, it was seasonal, so it was like thirteen episodes per year, and it was only fifteen minutes, but it was a jam-packed fifteen minutes of um, content targeted at entrepreneurs. So. All right. Interesting um, story of why. And of course, audio is, you know, video is great, but audio, the love for audio and that affinity and so on is actually growing. So having a podcast is a no brainer. And, you know, to complement all the many things that you're doing, um, the, the early stage entrepreneurs that you're interfacing with and so on. So now I want to move into um, what excites me and excites a lot of people is the fact that you are able to monetize your podcast um, from the very get-go and in some very um, creative ways. So I want you to kind of share some of the strategies that you are able to um, to to execute in having uh, your, your podcast earning revenue, even without having a huge audience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I think that for anybody starting a show, it's important to fit a, a to choose a a topic that you know a lot about that you can speak to at length because now you know doing uh, 190 plus episodes you start to realize how important that is to be able to come up with fresh content that people actually uh, that will resonate with people consistently but once you find that topic then it's about getting at least a little bit of an audience it doesn't have to be big right but you should have some people consuming your content, 50, 100 people, doesn't matter what the number is, but at least so you can start getting feedback from them on what works, what doesn't. And that you can spend the first month doing. But we encourage, and through our talk, we encouraged people to try and monetize their show or to try to find other ways to make money from their show outside of advertising immediately. And that's what we did in the first month of our show, about 25 days after we started it. We started reaching out to other content creators to see is there a way for us to generate revenue from the kind of content that we're creating outside of just advertising on the show. Because obviously with 100 listeners or even a couple hundred listeners, you cannot make money from advertising really at all. Well, actually, I will add that it was a little bit less intentional. It was a little bit less intentional in the beginning because – we were really focused on growing our audience, but we didn't know when we would start being able to 
monetize. But it just so happened that through that activity, we found a monetization strategy within just a few months. Mm. So, so that first strategy for us was writing. Um, and you know, writing is something that obviously it's not a skill that everybody has, but we had done some articles before that, uh, for different jobs that we had. And even for ourselves, we had, we did some blog posts and LinkedIn posts that resonated with people. So we knew that we could write content that people would like. And so all we did in the beginning was we took the type of content we were creating on the podcast and we adapted it to written format. And we started reaching out to some publications who had a much bigger audience than us, of course, um, to see if we could write for them for free, right? The, the intent initially wasn't immediately, we want you to pay us for articles. No, initially, we want to get in front of your audience. So we found a publication that was very specific and relevant to us, which is called goalcast.com, which is all about inspirational, motivational, entrepreneurial content, including videos. Mm -hmm. And Vadim reached out to one of the editors. He guessed their email address, or maybe I think he found their email address right on their website. It was a general email yeah. box that I reached out to. And within a few days, I had their director of marketing reaching back out, asking me to write a draft for an article. And the cool thing with this strategy is that it actually works for people across almost any industry or domain expertise, with the caveat that, of course, you have to be able to write. So yes. if you don't think you're a good writer, start practicing just by writing content, creating your own blog, even if nobody reads it. But once you get to that level where you feel like your content resonates with other people, you're probably a good enough writer to write for some publication out there. And one important distinction of what Vadim did that I think was unique when he reached out to that publication is he asked for more than what he thought he was going to get. He asked to write to be a regular column contributor, to create a column for them, an entrepreneurship column, almost like a Dear Abby kind of column or Dear Vadim. Let me ask you. <laughs> yes. Anybody could spell his name, and uh, and and he asked to do to be a regular contributor that way. And she said, "Okay, good idea, but why don't we start with you just being a, a contributing writer on the platform and write a few articles?" And we ended up writing, I think, uh, nine each or so over the course of a couple months. And even though we didn't get paid for that opportunity, we did get a lot of people from that website that had a ton of traffic. Uh, come to our website and start listening to our podcast. And then we were able to use that written content to ask other publications that we could write for, if we could write for them, and those publications did start paying us for the content. But we had to be a little bit proven, right, before we could ask to start getting paid for written content. Mm -hmm. And so how did that now lead you into the written content that you were getting paid for? So I, again, it was uh, reaching high, you know, and we were we we're big believers in taking some time to establish credibility and then using that credibility to level up to the next thing that's a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And within six months or a year, you can be somewhere where you thought would be impossible. One of our dreams was to write for Forbes.com. And it's something that we didn't really know how you do. We thought that you had to, you know, be like a an entrepreneurial celebrity to be able to do. Uh, but we decided to try anyway because we knew we had good written content. So we found a couple of emails of some editors there. I think again, I think I just guessed the email address of some editors there. And we emailed three of them. And initially we didn't get a response, but we kept following up and with ideas for articles that we could write for Forbes. And ultimately, one editor did reply, and she asked us to submit 10 ideas for articles. 
And so that was obviously a good amount of work we had to do. But we submitted 10 ideas with outlines for articles. And then she asked for us to write three full articles. This is all before we're even accepted to be contributors. But we were like, well, we really want to do this. Let's write three full articles. And finally, we were accepted to be contributing authors on Forbes. And if you publish a certain amount of articles per month on Forbes, they pay you money as a writer for those articles. And the cool thing is three articles that we wrote, all three of them ended up being published. Mm -hmm. So then um, obviously your podcast is, was the first thing that kind of um, was used as a leverage to uh, reaching out to that first publication that you were able to, um, to, sh to show it as kind of a social proof so that you know you can you know write for publications that will pay you. So that's just one of the ways. But I know that there are several other strategies that you would have employed. Um, let's move on and look at another one. Sure. So, I mean, we used our podcast, but also we used the domain expertise that we had. So use whatever social proof you have out there. We use our podcast. We use the fact that we already published on Goldcast. We mm -hmm. use the fact that we mm -hmm. have experience working with entrepreneurs. But the next strategy that we used uh, also kind of came serendipitously. At this point, we started growing an audience, but we wanted to continue to grow a more specific audience, and that is um, entrepreneurs and people that were – creators. And that meant for us that we had to be known as public figures, someone and so forth. Now, Gary Vee is, is somebody that we probably all have consumed as content. You see about him all the time. He gives a ton of talks for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. He has a very mm -hmm. unique personality, but maybe somewhere in our minds, we wanted to be like Gary Vee. Who doesn't, right? Yeah. But instead of <laughs> Except I can't take him costing, but anyway, that's another thing. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, look, we're all different, actually, and so you yeah. should use your own personality. But, you know, for us, instead of just dreaming to be like Gary Vee, we wanted to act on it. And so the action, the item that we took is if we want to be public figures, we have to be speaking in public more consistently. And something else serendipitous happened. Sergey actually, for years now, has been an organizer on meetup.com. Mm -hmm. And when you're on that platform, you get automatic notifications when someone else abandons another meetup. In other words, another organizer drops off. That's their way of making sure that the community stay led by somebody else, that there's always an organizer. And one day, Sergey got a notification about the podcast, New York City podcast meetup that actually had about, I think, 700 members at this time where the organizer stopped organizing events. And we thought, well, actually, this is a great opportunity. We are hosts of a podcast and podcast people are creators. There's 700 individuals in this group that we can get access to right now. Let's do something about this. And so Sergey took over the group right away. Within a month, we had an event organized, a free space that we were leveraging for this event. And this first event was actually free. We wanted to see, okay, how engaged is this community of 700 people. And actually, in the first event, we had about 100 people show up to, to the event. Now, 100 people in real life is hugely valuable. Mm -hmm. If you can get people in a room, you can monetize it. And so we realized here we had a huge opportunity because these were engaged and dedicated people that actually wanted to get together and feel like they're part of a community, feel like they're learning something. And sure enough, the next event, we were easily able to not only charge for ticket sales because we had different event formats, like for example, we would do live podcast recordings with successful entrepreneurs in front of that audience, but also we were able to easily get sponsors because guess what? Sponsors are happy to give you money if you are the organizer, if you're doing the work, and if you can get 50 to 100 people in a room. Hmm. 
Interesting. Um, I know they talk about the 100 people because I do an event called a leader cast as well. And um, it's a very, what I consider to be very small, you know, in terms, you know, relatively small. And we have a community of 100, about 100 people. But it, that is an amazing amount of people, um, you know, to get your word out and to, to build from there, to build community and to foster that level of growth and camaraderie and everything that you want to foster. So we never underestimate the power of 100, yeah? <laughs> and we, we're, yeah, that, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, exactly. And also remember not to be afraid of hard work. Organizing an event is not easy. There's a lot of moving pieces. When you have 100 people in a room, you have to be able to manage those 100 people. You have to make sure that you're keeping them interested, that you're leading the room, that you have engaging content within the event itself. Obviously, the venue, things change within the venue. Sometimes unexpected things happen, right? Running an event isn't easy. Writing three drafts of an article after submitting 10 different ideas that you hope are going to be interesting for an editor of a magazine that sees thousands of ideas a year, that's also not easy. So none of this stuff will just come to you, but if you are willing to do the work, you already are doing more than 99% of the population out there, and there will be some kind of outcome on the other side. Sometimes you can't predict what that outcome is, but if you put in the work, there will be an outcome. Mm -hmm. I'll also add to give people some some context and figures behind this. You know, our first sponsorship that we got was through somebody that we had on the podcast who had a podcast app that they specifically wanted to get in front of other people that are starting podcasts. And so that person, was, it was easy to ask them to be a sponsor. Actually, I think they asked us if they could be a sponsor of the event. And because they were a startup, we, we only asked for $500. Not a huge sum of money, but enough money to cover all of our costs and maybe even keep a little bit of, of money for, for putting on the event. That was just the first sponsorship. Again, it's not like a huge blowout success, $500, but we were able to use that initial sponsorship to then get new sponsors, approach other sponsors for future events. And once we proved we can get a lot of people in the room, then we can start asking for $1,000, $2,000, cover way more of the costs and even pay ourselves a little bit if there was money left over, which at that level there is at that point. Now, if you start hosting multiple events per month, it becomes interesting. How small, and to somebody else it might look like, is this even worth it? But um, but I think if you keep on trying to grow that community, grow the event, you can then go after bigger and bigger sponsors, if you like doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they say that an overnight success is usually 10 years in the making. And intrinsic in that argument is that you build, you, you keep building um, on what you've done before. So each time, you know, don't discount the value of, of starting small, because in the end, they are, everything adds up. You know, we say in Jamaica, one, one Coca full baskets. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So were you able to directly monetize your podcast? No, it's not a thing for us because until you have 50,000 plus downloads an episode and our podcast is two years old, we're not at that stage yet. It really doesn't make too much sense to monetize through ads unless you want to make some incremental revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, if Now, if you want to sell directly to sponsors yourself, you don't need that much uh, of an audience actually to start making some money. But remember, for advertising, you get paid on a CPM basis. That's right. cost per right. cost per 1,000 impressions. So 1,000 people have to hear it in order for you to make some money. And while the CPMs are relatively high, I mean anywhere from 50 to $200, depending on who your sponsor is, it's higher than display ads or even video ads now, you still have to have a significant audience. And for us, 
it doesn't make sense to have um, advertisements in the show to interrupt the flow of the show uh, just for, let's say, an extra $500 or $1,000 a month or whatever the amount would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also for us, the revenue that we can make through other opportunities, the time spent organizing these other opportunities is better because directly selling to sponsors for your podcast, for the actual audio content itself, also takes time. And you can hire somebody else to do that, of course. You can hire an agency to do it, but then you're giving them a percentage of the revenue. Uh, and again, then you also increase the threshold you need to reach, the audience threshold to make money through ads. We were able to monetize the show a little bit more directly than that event that we just told you about um, by doing a couple of things. We essentially bundled the podcast as an as a part of an offering, of a bigger offering to an organization. So we found out that you know, because we are an interview-based show, we decided to offer to leaders and executives at big companies to interview them on our podcast in front of a live audience. And there, we could charge them for the recorded content, the podcast, and video assets that we created because they wanted the asset to be able to share it as a sort of PR opportunity to the outside world or even internally. Okay, so obviously it's not just, and, and this is a point that we really want to bring home, that it's, it's not just about direct monetizing. As I always advocate and, and talk about is that there's just so many ways that you can monetize and leverage your podcast. For example, some of the ways that personally I do it is by creating, doing events, hosting live events. So uh, LeaderCast is one of the events, LeaderCast Kingston, LeaderCast Women, both events, um, two per year, then there is coaching, there is, um, you know, doing all, all various elements, um, doing workshops and so on and so forth. So there are several ways that we can monetize, you know, a podcast and leverage the, the idea that we have a podcast to, to make money and, um, to make a living. So, um, is there anything else that you want to share, uh, Vadim and Sergey that you have not mentioned as it relates to monetizing your podcast? Well, all I'll say is, I mean, look, there's a lot of other ideas out there as well that people have probably already heard of, like uh, charging people for premium content, charging people for premium content using uh, subscription services, selling merchandise on your website. These ideas are all great, but a good strategy for anyone that's listening is to really think hard about the value that they specifically are providing to their audience, their domain expertise, what they're good at and what they know a lot about. Because that will actually give you ideas for how you can specifically monetize your podcast in ancillary ways. Sure, you could figure out how to make money through advertising, direct advertising on the show, but remember that really depends on only one metric and that is your audience. If you don't want to wait to have a big audience to start making money on your show, do start thinking creatively about the value that you specifically offer and then you'll be able to come up with ideas for people to give you money for that value. It's a simple transaction. You're providing the value in one way or another. Obviously, Hanukkah, you mentioned some great ideas like coaching, for example. If that fits your knowledge and domain, then sure, you can have a funnel that drafts people to coaching. But if you're not, let's say, an event organizer, but something else that you do in your life you're really good at, think about how you can incentivize people to pay for that. Absolutely. Sounds great. Sounds great. All right, so I have been talking with Sergey and Vadim Revzin, 
Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for joining me on the entrepreneurial user sharing with my community, your entrepreneurial journey, a little bit of it, as well as how it is you are able to um, to monetize your podcast, to leverage it, to do the things that you want to do, to start writing and hosting events and so on and so forth. So I'm going to ask you at this time to leave your contact information where our community may be able to be in touch with you, say hello or stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way to find us is to go to thementors.co, thementors.co, and you can email us at info at thementors.co or our first names, Vadim or Sergey at thementors.co. Uh, especially if you want entrepreneurial advice, we love talking to people that are going out there and doing great things. So you're free to reach out to us there. We're also on social media on Instagram, The Mentors Podcast, and on Twitter, it's The Mentors. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you both so much. I look forward to, you know, watching your journey as you continue. You continue to inspire. I'm really inspired by both of you doing what you love together and, and building your brand together. Thanks so much, Henneke. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for everyone that uh, out there that's listening to the show. Absolutely. And thank you, my peak performer, for tuning in to this episode with Vadim and Sergey. I look forward to connecting with you next week. In the meantime, of course, I'm encouraging you to go grab a copy of Podcast Power, the quick start guide to launching and leveling up your brand if you've not already done so. It's available on Amazon and I have a nice little link for you so that you don't have to go searching for it. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash purchase podcast power. Remember, you were born to win, but to be a winner, you must plan to win, prepare to win and expect to win. What good?